standing back saying, is there, is there going to be like verse 2? Because this is awesome when, when God is just reigning over the nations and we're, we're incredibly excited about it. So um, a new series is beginning today out of the book of Colossians. And I'm, I'm looking at, you know, Father's Day and, um, and places you have to be and thinking, we'll introduce this today. How about that? So um, Colossians 1 is just rich, and uh, I've kind of titled this series out of verse 27, Um, probably weirdly enough, my favorite verse in all of the Bible, I don't know why that's weird, just excitedly enough, my favorite verse in probably entirety of Scripture, because I think it changes everything. I mean, I think it just, I think it's a game changer for the Christian life, and Colossians 1.27, it says, um, actually Colossians 1.27 is kind of a lean-in verse, like when you start hearing things going on around you where where you're literally saying, um, I don't, uh, I don't think that for ages past this has been known. Like for, for a, a few thousand years, the prophets haven't spoken about this. I mean, this is a mystery that's hidden for ages. That's generations have been kind of sitting on going. If you're, if you're sitting at the church at Colossians, you're sitting going, what's he about to unload on us? I mean, what in the world could he possibly say to us? as a part of, of the church that worships the living God for generations now, and he's about to introduce this idea that could change everything. And, and I just kind of thought, this is, this is a sweet mystery. Some, some of you are with me. This is an exciting, sweet mystery. If you're, if you're sitting there, and so, um, because many of you have a Bible, you can kind of cheat and read that, but in two weeks from now, we're just going to unpack what it looks like to say, God, what would happen if we unveiled... What Paul has unveiled to the church of Jesus Christ at Colossae, the church that worships at Colossae, what would happen if we just unveiled that and began to flesh that out? And so this idea of sweet mystery flows out of verse 27, just saying, we, I mean, we all love a great mystery. I mean, we all love what, what Paul's doing. I, I put a single sentence down today so that we could have something to wrap our heart around today, however. And, and the sentence of the day is, as, as you are gladly amazed... As you are amazed by the mysterious majesty of your God, you will increasingly and gladly give yourself away for who He is. And I just kind of butchered that sentence, so let me just say it over and over. I put it in your notes because I can write these things, but sometimes they just drop out of my brain. So let me just read this. As you are amazed by the mysterious majesty of your God, you will increasingly and gladly give more of who you are for all of who He is. That sounds way better than what I just said. I mean, as you're just amazed by this mystery, as you are, are just shocked by the goodness of God, you gladly, and that's verse 24 kind of going here, you're gladly going to give away who you are for all of who He is and all of what He's about. Um, we, we, all love, we all love mystery. We all love this idea of God um, doing some great things. We all love mystery in real life. I, I can think of so many examples of mystery that flow. I, I love my papa. Some of you are in the room, and my papa's been in heaven for 35 years now, and, and I still, 36 years now, and I still think about my papa, and, and I think about probably one of the most, maybe second only to my parents, the most godly influences in my life. And when, when you start thinking, silver-haired generation, about the 936 and our job is done, please don't. Because literally my, my grandmother and my papa, my granny and papa spoke more of Christ into my life than, than honestly anybody other than my mom and dad. And I'm so grateful for him. My papa was so good at mystery and, and he was so great at creating moments like papa would call us and, and um, I don't know if my dad does this with my kids a lot. He's always 
pestering them, but he kind of follows in Papa's tradition. So Papa would call us, and he would start at about a month out from Christmas, just start telling me, hey, little buddy Bo, that was my nickname, hey, buddy Bo, I'm going to tell you, you now have seven presents under the tree. And I would, I would be like, I've talked to him on the phone forever. Papa, tell me about him. And he'd call back three days later. Hey, buddy Bo, you now have nine presents under the tree. And I would be going, yeah, I would dance around the house, except for those of you, few in the room that can appreciate this, this generation has no idea. I could only dance as far as the cord would go. You know, at Christmas we would... Thank you. Those in the room that can testify, we remember those days. Or when you would go into the closet and shut the door with the cord in there and whisper, you know, <laughs> what cord? What are you talking about? Um, so I would, I would get on the phone, pop up. My mom and dad bought this extra long cord so I could go all through the house. I would be dancing going, 11, are you serious, Papa? And then he would, I, this, my Papa was worse than me. Because like, the, you know, as a kid, you want to open your presents. He's going, look, look, I can tear the corner and see what it is. <laughs> And my pop was the worst because we would, we would roll in, you know, he lived about an hour and a half away from us. So we would roll in on the day before Christmas. And I don't think it was for my benefit. I think it was for his benefit. He would literally say, you can open two when you arrive, you know. It wasn't, it wasn't because we, we were excited. It was because Papa wanted the presents open. And I, I love, I love that mystery. I love, I, I love just a Papa who would say, there's some things that I want to unveil to you that are awesome. I mean, who doesn't love mystery? I have a t-shirt that I would love to own one day. I wear a size large if you want to get this for me. So many books, so little time. I, I Thank you. I love that t-shirt. And I, who doesn't love a great mystery? To just be able to, I get lost in a book. My wife is always looking at me saying, please just give yourself, you know, when I'm reading a fiction book, give yourself two weeks between them because you get lost. I was like, it only takes 24 hours. I'll literally pull all-nighters when, you know, a great book is going on. I love a great mystery and I have a hard time putting it down. Who doesn't? Some of you are going, I don't. Well, I'll try to knock mysteries that all of us love. Um, for instance, there's a mystery going on here right now. Like there's a mystery going on in this church as we speak. There, there have been literally dozens and dozens of people who have been here the entirety of the week. And you're walking around hearing the kingdom rocks music going on. And you're feeling like you want to wield a sword as you walk through our atrium. And you're feeling a little excited about that. And you're looking at all the decor and you're thinking the Yoda of decorating is Karen Smith. If you ever want your house decorated, call her. You're wondering what's going on with this whole deal. And and here's the, the mystery is we've got all of this set up and we're sitting on the edge. And I'm leaning up and going, God... What sweet mystery are you going to unveil as our kids sing about the greatness of God all afternoon next week? Or as our kids come in in the mornings and they walk their way through Bible school under understanding that the kingdom of God rocks. And you can stand on that rock. I mean, literally, right now the mystery will be unveiled in about five days. But there will be children who come to know Jesus Christ this week. Praise God. And that's, I mean, we're sitting on that mystery. There, there will be children that will, that know God, that will learn to trust Him more this week. There will be verses of scripture that will hide in their heart so that they will not sin against God. And more than that, that they will walk in the fullness of what God commands from them, that He will direct them in the ways of His life. I mean, it's just, it's going to be a mysterious, exciting week. And, and if you're not feeling a sense of mystery, can you join us in praying that God will unleash His mystery? I, I have, one of my favorite mysteries that um, un- unveils in my life. I'm a, I'm a fan of, of a certain show. 
And I've already shared this in here, and it kind of went over like a dud. So I'm a fan of 24, and I don't, I don't watch it very often. I kind of Netflix it because it's kind of like reading for me. I'll watch the whole thing. And, and I think there's seven um, series out now, and I've only watched three or four. And so I watch them on Netflix. I've got three to go whenever, you know, the urge comes over me. And it's a, it's, it's a mystery. It's an exciting mystery. Clearly nobody in here watches 24 except me. The thing, I mean, I shared this, and this is what went over like a dud. The thing I love about this, though, this is a catharsis for a pastor. It's, 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 it kind of frees us up because this, we don't get to do this in real life. It's like Kiefer Sullivan is this Jack Bauer, if, if he weren't around, you wouldn't be here kind of guy. And so he's this Jack Bauer, super intelligence guy. It's about this whole intelligence network and how it's all going. And you're thankful to be alive because of him. I should have worn my T-shirt for this. And so it's 24. It's all just kind of set up. And the mission is central, which it should be in the church. Like the mission is always central, meaning if you deviate from the mission or you're away from the mission, this show doesn't do Matthew 18. You know, they just shoot you. You're gone. You're off the show. I'm sorry you messed up the mission. You're out. You know, and it's a catharsis for a pastor because you're always like, oh, I'm sorry we're not singing that the way you want to. We love you. You know, like we, we do that kind of stuff all the time when all the while we want to say, the mission is central. The mission is central. The king of glory is reigning. And you want to shout that. So I love 24. I remember watching 24 in a mysterious moment. I was, I was watching 24 and it was episode, episode, not episode, but season three or four. Jack Bowers in this huge bind. He's about to lose his life. He's going to die. You know he's going to die. And then they end that show. So then you have to hit click and watch one more at one in the morning. And so you watch one more. And, and I'm all stressed out thinking they won't even kill him in this one. They're going to wait three more shows. It'll be four o'clock before he finally, you know. And, and so, I mean, you're just watching this. And all of a sudden it struck me. It struck me like a, like a ton of bricks. I, it, I was like, this is season three. At this point in life, there's season six. He's going to make it. (laughs) I think that's the way Paul was in this moment. He was sitting back and going, look, look, look. I know there is a kingdom of ages that's to come. I know there's a greater and a bigger story that's about to be mapped out. I know that all that's going on. And verse 24 is a theological quagmire. And I'm not even going to suggest to you that I can untangle all the theology of this. But what I think Paul is saying to the church in Colossians 1.24 is there's a kingdom and an age that is far beyond what you're living in right now. There's a kingdom and an age that spans. And in the middle of all this mire and muck and, and lack of clarity and all of what you're about, you're living for that future kingdom in the midst of where you stand right now. And you're living in the middle of that. And here is what I want you to do. I want you to breathe in and go, look, what's happening around me? It is not all there is. What's happening around me is not all that's going on. And Paul writes it this way. And he says, look, I know there's a future kingdom. And so I rejoice in what was suffered for you. And I fill up in the flesh. This is Colossians 1.24, by the way, the beginning of thoughts about a sweet mystery of God. I rejoice in what was suffered for you, and I fill up in the flesh what is still lacking in regards to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, the church. And here's, here's some things that I don't fully understand, and you can, you're welcome to go home and read 50 different commentaries on that because I've read a lot of thoughts on this. I mean, kind of walk back Greek word by Greek word. Here's what I, here's what I know Paul is saying. He is saying, I will not add one thing to the cross. 
The cross is sufficient. I am not coming to the cross and in my present suffering going to add one thing to the cross. Otherwise, everything he wrote prior to this would be moot. He's saying, look, the cross is enough. The cross is what it's about. But here's what he's also saying. But I love this church. And I love the age of God that is going to move in this church. And I love the church where it is presently. And there are some present needs, some present hurts, some present desires, some present moments going on in the middle of this church. And this church, this would be a great theological statement. This church, according to Ephesians 3, made up mostly of believers in this room, is already seated in heaven and already rejoicing in the fullness of who God is. And yet here they are working this out on earth, working out their salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is acting on their behalf for his good pleasure. And so what I have this role, Paul, I think, is saying, what I have this role is, is stepping in the middle of this workout, understanding that they're already seated there, and helping guide the body of Christ. Whatever that costs me, however that makes me sacrifice, however it compels me to rejoice in suffering or suffer in rejoicing, whichever one of those goes on in my life, because in the midst of suffering, I can rejoice or I can step in the middle of this and suffer. And in the middle of it, say, God, you are good. Whatever is required of me, I want to advance this kingdom because there is a greater kingdom going on. And he looks at this, and I I read this, and I think, okay, so it becomes extremely practical for us as a church. Because we we get, I mean, listen, this is awesome. We get to step into afflicted places and to bear up with Christ this eternal story of the living God. I I wrote this sentence down. I don't know if it will move you or not. So as you are amazed by the mysterious majesty of God, you will increasingly and gladly give all of who you are for all of who He is. Just, that's just a great thought for you today. As you are amazed by this mysterious majesty of God, you will gladly, it will be with great joy that you adopt Colossians 1.24 and you start to ask questions like this. So God, what's happening around me? What's happening in the middle of your church? What's going on in the kingdom of yours that I get to go in the middle of and I get to bear up for the sake of the cross? God, what do I get to do to be able to say, here's your church. I don't know how to portray. Here is the future of everybody in your church. I understand that future, yet here we are embroiled in all of this pain and sorrow, and we don't know how to make sense of that. And yet, God, here is the future. Holy, holy, holy are you, Lord God Almighty. We will join the elders and the saints and all of, the, all of those around the throne singing of your holiness. So how, God, do I step in the middle of this so that people can taste this. And I don't just want them to know this is some concept out there. I want to step in like Paul in the middle of this, and I want to be able to speak into this, this chaos, this pain, this suffering, this starvation, this this lacking of water, this need for a father, this need for a mother, this 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 lostness from apart from Christ. How, how do I step into this and bear up whatever I need to bear up because I know this is coming. So we start we start asking questions like so in in this this being all the afflictions of this world. Where am I? Where am I pointing over here? Where am I standing in? I'm talking about standing in in the bloodiest and the hardest places saying there is a future hope and I'm going to go stand in this. And I don't know how you define that. And that's what's beautiful. And we'll talk about this next week. That's what's beautiful when you begin to say, so God, 
What's important to me? How have you wired me? And how do you want me to go into this? Because here's, here's what we know, church. We know this, right? There was an, I'm not, I am saying at this moment, there's an, like an agreement. And you don't have to be like, you just nod your head. But how do we step in this? Because we know this. We know there's a kingdom of Jesus Christ that will stand. That there is more here. And so how do we step into the affliction and say, okay, God, I mean, as, as you're, I think, here's just a sentence. As you're amazed by the majesty of God, you will increasingly and gladly give more of who you are for all of who he is. That's what Paul says in verse 24. He says, I am thrilled to give all of who I am for the sake of who he is. That just gives me great thrill in my heart. And, and, and I think he's just looking and saying, I want to rejoice in this. This is, this is already, I'm cheating and saying, this is already my sentence. I was studying for this, and here's next week. Here's where we're heading, because here's why. In, in 1 Corinthians 6.20, it says, you were bought with a price. I mean, how could it even flinch when you start to wrestle with questions like this? Glorify God with who you are. Look, look, step into the middle of the fray. And people who are living antithetical to the gospel and say, look, the gospel is here. It's me. He lives in me. It is Christ in me, the hope of glory. So I'm bringing this in the middle of all the afflictions. You would think that the church was a hospital, right? You would think we would stand in the greatest afflicted places and say, the gospel is here. Wholeness is here. Hope is here. In the middle of the greatest afflictions of life, here I am with Christ. And I love Romans. I was reading this in my favorite verse that says, and when I step into this afflicted place, the fullness of Jesus Christ comes with me. And so I'm stepping into this afflicted place and going, here, here we are, God. This is awesome. And, and, and I'm leading people to just see what they cannot see yet. But to see it anyway, just rest in that going, man, it's season three. But there's seven. And I got peace in this. Not because it's gotten better, because he's great. And when I become, when I become more and more enamored with who he is and what he does, then it just blows me away. As I'm amazed by the mysterious majesty of God, I'll increasingly and gladly give all of who I am for all of who he is. It's, it's just reality. And, and I just wrote this sentence. Christ has called us to fill up in this day and in this time what he has once and forever done on the cross. That's, we're going to park there next week. Christ has called us to fill up in this day and in this time what he has already completely and forever done on the cross. It's, that's just it's incredible privilege. I don't know how you feel right now. I can't read the room. I have no temperature of what's in this room. But an incredible privilege and responsibility for this, this, this body to be able to say, seriously, Lord, seriously, you're asking us to step into the afflicted places. And the, the only way I know to do this is to just maybe, um, instead of trying to exegete the scripture, make it make sense, two stories, and then let's, let's call it a day and go out and process this. Two stories that I think are very meaningful for me. One is just this idea of rejoicing in the midst of sufferings. I, I, um, I read this many, probably eight, nine years ago, and it was about this, a lady named Agnes. I've got two Agneses. This is different from the Hawaii Agnes, and her name really is Agnes, and you're, you're going to be able to look this up in a minute because you're going to be excited about the story, and you're going to be amazed by the story. Agnes felt called to ministry when she was a student. She was mentored and trained by a friend of hers who gave most of um, her life in India. And realizing that in the middle of India, there's an afflicted place. And so I'm going to go to that afflicted place and I'm going to flesh out Jesus there. And so she was mentored in that. And she came, came convicted about what God wanted to do in her life. Conviction and truth is what stacks us up and, and allows us the ability to step into afflicted places. And I think maybe the problem 
that happens in a church is that we, it's, it's, I mean, it's a mystery and wonder of God issue, but really it's a conviction and truth issue. I've been able to say, God, I am convicted that you have called me in Colossians 1.24 to go into the afflicted places and, and look at this privilege. I'm going to stand in the afflicted places as bearing up for the church of Jesus Christ and I'm going to lift up the church and the church can lift up Jesus Christ and and God, we're going to just act as if this is true in the middle of all of this. And I'm convicted about that. One of my favorite sentences about conviction, for me, conviction and truth are the pillars of character. And, And character, I don't even remember where I saw this definition. I Googled it last week. If you find it, tell me. But character is the willingness to do what is right as defined by God regardless of the personal cost. I use that sentence at our church in Emmanuel for a long time to say, God, conviction and truth compels us to live with character in the middle of afflicted places. And that was where Agnes was. She was just saying, I I want in some way to be able to bear up with the church, to be able to step in the middle of the church and say, God, we stand in the middle of affliction. We stand in the middle of great passion. And her conviction was so deep in her life. And she said this, she says, I have three pennies and I want to build an orphanage. And I love, one of her mentors actually said these words to her, and I read the words and went, are you kidding me? This, this person, she said, I have three pennies, and I want to build an orphanage. And the purpose, person said to her, you can't do anything with three pennies. And she said, no, I can't, but three pennies. And God, I can do anything. She was just convicted that God was calling her into the, in the most challenging places. And so for the next 30 years of her life, she took three pennies and God and carried them to the hardest places on the planet. And in 1979, Agnes, otherwise known as Mother Teresa, became a person that was revered. And she just simply said at the beginning of ministry, I think it's three pennies and Jesus. And three pennies in Christ is really what it's all about. And three pennies in Christ can step into the middle of the hardest places. And she said this. Somebody said, so how do you tell the church to fulfill? I don't think they ask it just this way, but I'll ask it this way. How do you tell somebody sitting at Mandarin on on June 16th to flesh out Colossians 124? And she would have said, because she answered this way, find your Calcutta and pour your heart out there. Find your place where you're stepping in and saying, Oh God, I want to step into the middle of the greatest places of affliction. Because here's what I know, God. I'm going to live on this earth. I think she lived 91 years on this earth. I don't remember exactly. I should have looked that up. You can Google it while you're preaching and flash it to while I'm preaching. But she lived a certain number of years on this earth. She said, as long as I'm on this earth, I think this verse should be the driving priority of me. I rejoice in what was suffered for you by me. I'm so thrilled to rejoice in suffering. And I think part B for me is, is this. And I fill up in the flesh. I suffer in rejoicing. I find great joy in suffering. I fill up in the flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions. And I do that for the sake of his body. I do that for the church of Jesus Christ. I stand in the middle of that saying, God, how? And, and if you want to just cheat and read, I invite you. We're supposed to do this anyway. Read this as a letter this week and understand what he's saying in context of the overall letter, because Paul's about to say, oh my goodness, and the word of Christ is going to get so rich among us, and the word of Jesus Christ is going to be so free among us, and the word of Jesus Christ is going to be so pivotal among us, that there's going to be a whole slew of us who step into the greatest places of affliction, and we simply say, this is my Calcutta, and I'm going to live it out here. And so my question at the end of this day, I'll save the second story for next week. My question at the end of this day is, where's your Calcutta? The second story is the story. I'm not going to tell it, because you have to have this point. 
The second story is the story of Nehemiah. And I love Nehemiah because he tells you how to find your Calcutta. If you're wondering in this room how you find the places of affliction that God wants to use you so that you can bring healing in the midst of affliction so you can stand in the middle of the church saying, here's Jesus Christ. If you're wondering how to do that, I'll throw you in the secret tip of Nehemiah. Nine times in his memoirs, he prayed. He just, he just, I mean, just, he heard a need and said, God, is this what you're about? And then he prayed. And then he had a, I'm, I'm going to start telling the story. Just say, don't, don't mark. And he had this gestational period where things were happening. And he just kept saying, God, if you're in this, lead the way. And, and I'll just share this next week. I mean, God clearly led him. And so if you're wondering, you're sitting there going, that's a good sermon. I feel motivated. Colossians 1.24 moves me. I love technology. This dude just drew the word, the numbers 87. Mother Teresa lived to be 87. And so, um, God, if, if you're just asking me to be, I don't, I don't know the answer. Like most of us, not all of us, some of you can immediately say, this is my Calcutta. I've been doing this for the last eight years and I'm going to do this until I stop breathing. I mean, some of you are just that passionate right now, but some of you are going, I don't know my Calcutta. Here's a great idea. Pray. Fast. Dig into the Word. Ask God to open your eyes. And I don't have plan C. Pray. And then, and then this is, I love Henry Blackaby. We're going to be all this fall. Once you pray, connect the dots. Like, when you're praying, God's going to just show you this incredible need. And then, then maybe the point is that you stop praying and move your life there and start building a wall. But before that, God, where, where is this? And so, so the kingdom is just restful and peaceful right now because Paul says, I find so much joy in stepping into the afflictions that are going on. And, and this is so interesting in a whole nother panoramic of this verse in the midst of the church. And I want to stand up and build the church. And I want to build the church. And I want to build the church because here's, here's what I believe Jesus believed that in the middle of the church there will be great moments of unbelievable glory of God. That the church of Jesus Christ will step out of its walls after they've sung some songs for a little while and they will step into places of deep pain and suffering and sorrow and they will build walls and they will feed hungry and they will bring the gospel and they will they will clothe the naked and the blind will see and the deaf will hear and the dead will rise again. So I'm going to stand in here and I'm going to teach and teach because there's a kingdom of morass and hurt here. But there is a kingdom of hope in heaven here. And I am living in the tension of pulling these two together. And so where's your Calcutta? That's it. Jesus, thank you so much for your king.